Well, so far in this series, we've talked about the point of prayer, the principles of prayer, and last week, the practice of prayer. Today, we're going to talk about something a little bit unique and a little bit different. We're going to talk about the partnerships of prayer. You see, I believe God intentionally infused teamwork into the fabric of prayer. Prayer is a partnership between the people of God and God himself. In fact, prayer could be thought of as a beautiful patchwork quilt hanging from heaven to earth. A quilt which the people of God are sewing together with contributions from all over the world. And in this creative prayer partnership, our God is both participant and recipient. The way we partner together as people with God in prayer, whether as husbands and wives or as families or as a church, as spiritual supporters of each other, is a powerfully unifying thing. See, like nothing else, prayer initiates a spiritual conversation or spiritual connection and a meaningful communion between the ones praying and the one to whom we are praying. What a privilege it is to partner together with God in prayer. Through prayer partnerships, we wind up with three-way relationships where God is one-third of the, of the party. And, and, and folks, three-way relationships with, a God, with God build strong marriages, build strong friendships, and strong churches. See, the very nature of prayer creates spiritual partnerships. That's what I'm telling you. When we say, I'll be praying for you, and when we follow through and actually pray, we do something more than to perhaps up the odds of the prayer being answered. We do more than add to the effort to get the answer we asked for. Regardless of how or when God winds up answering the prayer, we have engaged in a spiritual relationship with each other in our effort to get in touch with God. The partnership of prayer is a beautiful thing. It's a powerful thing. There are really two partnerships in prayer. There's partnership with God and there's partnership with people. I'm going to break that into two parts and spend a lot of time today on the prayer partnership that we have with God. The entire Christian life is a partnership with God in the ultimate sense of the word. This partnership is actually so close that it's often impossible to separate the work of the believer from the work of God. Through times of prayer, God often leads us to act in bringing about the answer to our own prayers or to the prayers of someone else. That's just how close this partnership with God is, particularly when it comes to answered prayer. Sometimes it's hard to tell who's doing what. The Bible tells us that true Christians are in Christ, a phrase used 164 times in the New Testament. We're wrapped up in Jesus. We are his emissaries, his ambassadors, his representatives, his body. Real followers of Christ are acting as Christ, for Christ, in Christ, even as we live out 
our lives here on this earth. That's why it shouldn't surprise us that God does very little on earth without the partnerships of people. People heard, heard from God in prayer and accomplished His will on earth. We read about it in Scripture from Adam naming the animals and cultivating the earth, to Noah building the ark in order to save those with faith, to Moses using his staff to perform miracles of deliverance, to Queen Esther using her God-given position to save her people, to Jesus and all that he did to change the world, to the disciples who carried out the work after he was gone. Prayer is the epicenter of the partnership we have with God because in prayer, among other things, we receive our marching orders. Our partnership with God starts with prayer and action follows. But ironically, the very closeness of this partnership sometimes causes us to feel like our prayers are not making a difference. See, God partners so closely with people, it's easy to miss Him when He answers our prayers. Is it God answering prayers? Is it a good doctor and great technology? I've got no strings, bad hips to hold me down. <laughs> is it God speaking to me or is it a gifted pastor who has a way with words? Is it God or is it just a great song manipulating my emotions? Is it God meeting my emotional or physical needs or is it just some other Christian who's fulfilling or following Christ? That's how tight this partnership is. Sometimes it's hard to tell who's really doing the work. As I said earlier in this series, God isn't so much into solo performances. Ever since the creation of human beings, he's actually proven to be more about partnerships than anything else. Consider this paradoxical statement from the Apostle Paul, Philippians chapter 2, verse 12. Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. So which is it? Do I work out my salvation or does God do it? The answer is both. It's a partnership. God does not simply zap us with spiritual growth. He waits for us to work for it. And then he provides the power to make it real. It's the same with a partnership of prayer. When I was still young and good at sports, I really was. I, that's what people told me. One, my mom especially. <laughs> my best sport was tennis. I, I like tennis, if you know me, <laughs> I like tennis because it's one of the only sports where a person is completely responsible for his own success or lack thereof. And yet, unlike golf or other solo sports and tennis, you're still responding to other players' moves. Tennis is almost like a spontaneous dance. It's really an artful thing in a way. I hit the ball which affects the other player's actions in certain ways, and then he returns it in a way that it affects what I need to do, where I need to move, or how, where I need to hit the ball. There are different spins, there are different angles, and different velocities involved. And so the dance continues as we react and respond to each other's moves throughout the point until hopefully I find the right moment to crush it, causing the other person to groan in agony as he fails to get there in time. And that's where the analogy breaks down. But in many ways, prayer is like playing tennis with God. And you see, God has already put the ball into your court. When you pray, you put the ball back into his court. And more like in a warm-up rally or an exhibition match, 
In prayer, you would try to keep the ball in play as long as possible. When you let a ball go by, the, the, everything stops. And the beauty of the point dies. It takes partnership to keep the ball in play and to keep the dance going. Remember this, the privilege of prayer is partnership with God. What kind of, do you get the, how much of a privilege that is? The privilege of prayer is partnership with God. In essence, God, Yahweh, the Heavenly Father is asking you for a dance. Do you get that? Won't you accept his invitation and dance with God? This is the privilege of prayer, to partner with God. Now, particularly when it comes to prayer, we see that we can relate to God in three persons. We refer to the trifold nature of God as the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, three in one. Each is distinct, yet each is fully God. And interestingly, according to Scripture, each of these three persons has a different role when it comes to prayer. This partnership, each has a different role. Let's look briefly at each. First of all, the Father listens when Jesus prayed, he prayed to the Father. My Father, he prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane. Our Father, he prayed in the Lord's Prayer that we talked about last week. Jesus taught us that God, as our perfect Father, listens to our prayers. He said, but when you pray, Matthew 6, 6, but when you pray, go away by yourself, shut the door behind you, and pray to your Father secretly. Then your Father, who knows all secrets, will reward you. More than once, Jesus spoke of the intimacy we can have with God and what a privilege it is to be able to spend time alone with God, the God who made us, the God who made the stars, who made it all, to share with Him, to talk with Him as our spiritual Father. If you didn't hear last week the part about if you didn't have a, a great dad, go back and watch that. You know, I didn't even have all of that planned out. I think some of that was the Holy Spirit. Did that help anybody last week when I talked about that? Okay, I, I had a feeling God was moving. And so I won't go back through that today, but again today, but we have the opportunity to have a perfect father in God. To know that he hears everything we have to say, whether it's mature and wise or, or, or silly and childish. He hears and he cares as our good and perfect father. God listens to it all. Psalm 69, says, The Lord listens to those in need and does not look down on captives. 1 John 5, 14 says, This is the confidence which we have before Him, that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. But there's another side to this truth that I do need to point out. There's a condition to God hearing your prayers. God does not listen to the prayers of those who willfully remain in sin. Proverbs 15, 29 says, The Lord is far from the wicked, but He hears the prayers of the righteous. 1 Peter 3, 7 says something specifically to husbands, that if we don't treat our wives as we should in an understanding way, our prayers will be hindered. That's 1 Peter 3, 7. Man, you ought to have it memorized. Many verses warn that God can stop listening, even to believers, when our hearts have strayed from Him. 
Remember from last week, our times of prayer should include asking for forgiveness. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. When God brings sin to mind, admit it. Commit to turn away from it. Ask him to forgive you and thank him for the sacrifice of Jesus, the shed blood of Christ that allows you to be forgiven. Then you can go on with your prayers confident that God, your Father, is listening. And that really is a blessing, isn't it? To know that we have a heavenly Father that's listening to our prayers, to know that you can crawl up in the lap of your daddy, God, Abba, Father, at any time, and he'll listen to you share your heart, not as a condemning or toxic parent, but as a perfect, loving Father, and he listens to us better than even the best earthly father ever could. How amazing it is that our heavenly Father actually hears. He actually hears every word. We say to him, can you believe that? And think about it. If God is listening to me, how can I possibly choose to just remain silent? Secondly, the son intercedes. Someone might ask, what is Jesus doing while he's up there in heaven until he comes back. Well, the Bible tells us more than one thing that Jesus is doing, but one of his activities is to make intercession for you and me. Scripture says, Christ Jesus, who died more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Romans 8, 34. Now, now we need to understand what this means. This concept would have been very uh, easy to understand for Jewish believers, the original audience, because they were accustomed to the idea of priestly intercession. The Jewish priesthood was all about um, pleading to God on behalf of the people. That's intercession. Intercession is basically to go before a judge or a decision maker and plead the case of another, to be an advocate, almost like a defense attorney. Spiritually, to intercede is to go before God and pray for mercy and grace toward the one for whom you are interceding. In the Jewish system of worship, for example, once each year, the designated high priest would enter into the Holy of Holies, which was the holiest place within the temple, or before that, the tabernacle, and he would go in to pray and to make intercession to God for the sins of the nation. Before going in, the priest would sacrifice an animal to atone for the sins of the people. This is all prescribed in the book of Leviticus. I'm not going to go into all the details in this message, but all of it very clearly pointed forward in history to the ultimate sacrifice and the ultimate intercession, the ultimate Lamb of God who was sacrificed for our sins, Jesus Christ. He died to take away the sins of the world. That is the ultimate in intercession. The book of Hebrews especially goes to great lengths to explain that Jesus is now our eternal high priest. We have a priest. You may be like, well, we're not Catholic, we don't have a priest. Well, we have a priest. We have the priest. We have the high priest. This is why we no longer need the sacrificial system or earthly priests. Jesus is sufficient. This is, we're under a new covenant. We're free from the law. Because of the sacrifice of Christ, Jesus is now our great intercessor. He intercedes to the Father on behalf of those who trust in him. Later today, we'll remember the atoning sacrifice of Jesus through communion. We'll eat bread and drink fruit from the vine to remember the broken body and shed blood 
of Christ, given to pay the price for your sins and mine. It is also because of his sacrifice that Jesus is qualified to serve as our great intercessor, our high priest, this one who goes between us and God to make peace. And he prays for us this way. Continually, the Bible says, listen to this from Hebrews chapter 7, verse 20 and following. Others became priests without any oath, but he, Jesus, became a priest with an oath. In other words, there was not a promise that it would go on forever with the first set of priests. But he, Jesus, became a priest with an oath when God said to him, the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You're a priest forever. Because of this oath, Jesus has become the guarantee, because it's forever, it's a guarantee of a better covenant. Now, there have been many of those previous priests since death prevented them from continuing in office, but because Jesus lives forever, see, it's because of the resurrection. He has a permanent priesthood, permanent. Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. Jesus lives and he lives to intercede for those who come to God through him. Remember, we read a moment ago that Jesus actually is at the right hand of the Father interceding for us, for you, right now. What the high priest formerly did once each year, Jesus, our perfect and eternal high priest, is doing for us day in and day out, 24-7-365. Our prayer partnership with God goes this far. See, when we pray for ourselves or for others, we're really just joining in with Jesus. And he's also joining in with us. He's always interceding on our behalf. Jesus is already reminding God the Father of the blood that he the Son shed for us. He's already at the throne lobbying, making the case for you, advocating for you, interceding for me and for you. That's how much Jesus loves you. That's what he's spending his time doing. It's hard to even grasp. And see, when you pray, when you take the time to do what he's doing all the time, and you take a few moments, when you do that, you simply join in with what's already going on. We, we come before God not all alone and inadequate. We come before God not so unworthy as to be a bother to him. Not as if he couldn't care less about us, but instead we come with a great supporter who has already started the prayer. We come to God, the Father, shoulder to shoulder with our prayer partner, his son, Jesus Christ. The Father listens, the Son intercedes, and thirdly, the Holy Spirit translates. After Jesus left this earth, something huge happened to change the way God would communicate with his people forever. Communication with God is exactly what prayer is. So in other words, something huge happened that would forever change prayer. God sent the Holy Spirit. Jesus told his disciples that he must go so that the Holy Spirit could, could come. And he said the presence of the Holy Spirit would be better than his presence had actually been. He said they would do greater things because of the coming of this counselor. He said, John 16, 7, but it's actually best for you that I go away because if I don't, the counselor won't come. If I do go away, he will come because I will send him to you. 
After Jesus left, the Holy Spirit came to live inside believers. And everything about prayer completely changed. It would, wouldn't it? <laughs> if the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of us, that would change things a, a bit. In case you don't realize it, there is a pretty big difference between you and God. The difference is impossible to put into words. God is not like us. He came to earth in human form, but the totality of the identity of God can certainly not be thought of as human. We're made in his image, but we're lower than the angels for now. And God is far more and beyond even them since he created angels out of nothing, the same as us. Before the sacrifice of Christ on the cross, God mostly used angels or prophets to speak to people. He used supernaturally endowed messengers of some kind to speak to humans. But everything changed after the Holy Spirit came to live in the hearts of those who believe and receive Christ. Today, God simply doesn't need to send a supernatural angelic messenger to speak to us. Now, we have a personal translator right there inside us. And he's a very effective translator as long as we learn to listen. This makes me think of what many of us know as the universal translator popularized in Star Trek. My fellow Trekkies, you should know that throughout the years of the show, this universal translator eventually evolved to the point where the comm badges that Starfleet officers wore were, would automatically translate any alien language. And that's Kind of like what the Holy Spirit does between us and God. Did he just compare the Holy Spirit to a Star Trek combat? Well, okay, it's a stretch, but it's an illustration. The point is it's automatic. It's, it's pretty much automatic. And like those fictitious combat, God's universal translator works both ways. Works both ways. Let's talk about how this plays out first. The Holy Spirit translates from God to us with spiritual guidance. Jesus said, but the counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. That's guidance. Throughout the New Testament, we read over and over again phrases like this, the Holy Spirit said to them, or, but the Spirit would not let them go. Oh, we read, and the Holy Spirit led them to this place or that place. Think about it. Jesus left before the church was really even born. He left before any churches were planted or any evangelism had been done. There was so much to do. Still is. But after Jesus left, how were they to know what specifically to do? And how are we to know what to do? How, for instance, did I know that God wanted me to lay down a super sweet situation and risk it all to plant this church. Of course, we have the Bible for general direction, but how do we know specifics? We know the same way earlier followers of Jesus knew. Nothing's changed. We have the same Holy Spirit they had. They knew because God spoke to their hearts through the internal prompting of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit translates from God to us with guidance. How did we know what to call this church? Where to plant it? What the vision would be? We heard from God through the still, small voice of the Holy Spirit, and it all happened through prayer. Fervent prayer. This is not new. 
This is not mysticism. This is the great gift that Jesus gave us when he ascended to heaven. In the New Testament, every time we read about God guiding people, talking to people, leading people, teaching people, moving people, or calling people, it's nearly always a reference to the Holy Spirit. He is the one who lets us know what God wants to say. And this is an incredibly important part of prayer. We're talking about hearing from God. And yes, the Holy Spirit uses Scripture to guide us more than anything else. Search the Scriptures as you pray to know what God is saying and know that He will never lead you to do something contrary to biblical truth because God cannot contradict Himself. And we have this in writing. But make no mistake, friends. The Holy Spirit does, in fact, translate from God the Father to us with guidance. I'll add that sometimes he leads more specifically than what we can find in a verse of Scripture. There's not a verse that says, Mark Ford, go plant a church in Ridgefield. Nevertheless, I do believe that through the Holy Spirit, God said exactly that. I can guarantee you I wouldn't have made it this far if I didn't. But here's the thing. Here's the thing. He wants to say things to you as well. Don't doubt it. He wants to say things to you as well. I'm becoming more convinced every day that for every person called to plant a church or be a missionary or do something else great for God, particularly when sacrifice is needed, that there are but few who say yes. What about you? The Holy Spirit translates what God would say to you. And God absolutely has things to say. There's a second way he translates our prayers. Secondly, the Holy Spirit translates from us to God with groanings beyond words. The, the Holy Spirit actually tells God what you and I can't figure out how to say. He takes whatever we say and translates it into the language of God. Yes, the Holy Spirit actually fixes our prayers. He redeems them. He patches the holes, makes them into something worthy and acceptable, and presents them to the Father tied up with a bow. Merry Christmas, God. <laughs> Holy Spirit presents your prayers so much better than you can. The Bible says, and the Holy Spirit helps us in our distress, for we don't even know what we should pray for, nor how we should pray. But the Holy Spirit prays for us with groanings that cannot be expressed in words. By the way, this verse has absolutely nothing to do with speaking in tongues. It just doesn't. This verse has to do with the Holy Spirit digging deep into your soul in order to translate your prayers to the Father in such a way as to communicate what you wish you could have found the words to say. I don't know how to pray. You say, well, you're right. You don't know how to pray as you should. 
You don't even fully understand to whom you're praying. You don't have a clue how to approach God, and you have no idea what kinds of things you really ought to be saying to Him. Neither do I. But it doesn't matter because thankfully God is not going to hear an unedited version of what you or I say. The Bible says believers have the Holy Spirit as a fully automated universal prayer translator. Knowing this, maybe you should just try to say something. Just pray something, won't you? Say something to God. Do the best you can. Let the Holy Spirit take care of the rest. You know, I've had the privilege of sharing a few sermons with the use of a translator on mission trips over the years. I'm talking about cases where the audience did not understand one word of English. There's a funny thing about preaching with a translator. First, you have to trust them. (laughs) You have to trust that they're going to get the right thing out. And second, your message is only as good as the translator makes it. I could deliver the most eloquent speech I've ever given, and the translator might make it as boring as, well, as watching tennis. (laughs) On the other hand, I could say little or nothing, and the translator could make my sermon absolutely fantastic. It's kind of like that with the Holy Spirit in prayer. Because, folks, the Holy Spirit is the greatest prayer ever. Think about it. The Holy Spirit is the king of prayer, and prayer is actually what he's all about. That's what the Holy Spirit's all about. Hear me say that. Prayer is what the Holy Spirit is all about, both ways, from us to God and from God to us. That's what he's all about. Every other Holy Spirit um, role mentioned in Scripture, like guiding us into truth, convicting us of sin, it's a function of prayer. In fact, I would say it like this. The Holy Spirit is the paragon of a prayer warrior. Sometimes I tell my people about my wife, what a prayer warrior is. If you want something to happen, pray. Tell my wife. Better yet, you already have the Holy Spirit, the paragon of a prayer warrior. It's kind of like if Superman, Superman and I, I've got, in, I've got the Trekkies and I've got the superhero fans now with me today. It's, it's like if Superman and I were attempting to lift a car off the ground together. Okay, it's no longer uh, important that I can't do it myself since I have Superman lending a hand. And my contribution may not amount to much, relatively speaking, but it sure is fun and rewarding to work alongside Superman, you know? See, the Holy Spirit can make the worst prayer the best prayer. So just pray something, won't you? We've got the best translator ever, the paragon of prayers. Just waiting to help out. If you're accepted Christ, you have the Spirit. And so, all you have to do is pray. In prayer, we have a powerful partnership with God through the persons of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But secondly, we can also enjoy a special prayer partnership with His church. I've really talked about this throughout, but I just want to spend a little bit more time on it. A prayer partnership with the church. First, let me tell you that when it comes to corporate prayer, we're also talking about corporate worship. Ultimately, this right here, which each of you chose to attend today, is a service of prayer. This is a service of prayer, both in terms of speaking to God and in terms of hearing from God. A service of worship is exactly the type of activity Jesus had in mind when he said the Father's house should be a house of prayer for all nations, which, by the way, meant that all nations were invited to participate. Participate. 
Not so much that they should spend their time praying for the nations, although that's certainly a great thing to do. But the point was that Jesus came to open the doors of God's house to all nations for prayer. So please understand that these, these worship services, not just a chance to sing some songs or hear some music, and this thing I'm up here doing has nothing in common with a TED talk or a seminar or a lecture. No, our worship services amount to corporate prayer. We are here both to speak with and listen to God. Prayer. In case I'm confusing anyone, I, I'm not the one you should really be listening to this morning. And when you sing or bow your head in prayer or later when we take communion in a moment, it's all meant to be a conversation between you and God together. I'll never stop reminding you that worship is prayer and prayer is worship. Let me also say once more that nothing is more important than this right here. Our corporate worship is the starting place for our discipleship. For the, it's the fuel for our mission. Foundation of everything else we do. This is where we connect with God. Not every pastor or spiritual leader today believes that. I can tell you, but I believe it with all my heart. Why? Because of what I've seen with my own two eyes. I've seen it happen. And more importantly, because this is what we see in the early church, in the Bible. Read the book of Acts, and you'll see powerful worship, powerful prayer, often the same Greek word in the original text, by the way, prayer and worship. And you'll see that everything else the church does flows out of those powerful times of gathering together to communicate and commune with God. Here's an example. Acts chapter 4, 24. Then all the believers were united as they, obviously corporately here, lifted their voices in prayer. O sovereign Lord, creator of heaven and earth, the sea and everything in them, give your servants great boldness in their preaching. Send your healing power. May miraculous signs and wonders be done through the name of your holy servant Jesus. After this prayer, the building where they were meeting, they were meeting in a building shook that might be a way to get kicked out of the school i'm not sure if this place shook and they were all filled with the holy spirit and they preached god's message message with boldness after this we read about the gospel spreading and people turning to christ all over the known world spiritual awakening where did it start See, that's the kind of stuff that happens when we learn to partner together in authentic prayer. When God's people pray together, amazing things happen. Thanks for listening to Go Church's weekly sermon podcast. If you enjoyed the sermon, be sure to rate and review us. If you want to learn more about the ministry of Go Church or catch up on previous sermons, check out our website, www gochurchpnw.com. You can also connect with Go Church on Facebook and Instagram.